Welcome back to the Four Elements in Avatar podcast. I'm Mr. Boomerang. And I'm Firelord Balrog. It has definitely been a little while, hasn't it? But we are back with our Fire Nation quadrant. Like I said earlier today, you know, um, this quadrant is going to be fire. So, literally. And figuratively. Anyway, um... We are starting this amazing quadrant of fire off with our bending breakdown of the element of fire. We'll be talking about overall the nation of fire, the people of the fire nation, and overall the art of fire bending and all its amazing aspects. So let's just get right into this. So let's just talk about you know, the basics of what is the Fire Nation. So, the Fire Nation, you know, it's, it's, I, I like the Fire Nation, although, I mean, they did wage a, a hundred years of war and aggression, um, an imperialistic leader, psychotic family members, Azula, <laughs> you know, Azula. killing, raiding, stealing, murdering, However, you know, all good, like, all good, all countries that have interest in culture usually have waged at least, you know, a decade of war on other countries. With that that being said, let's get right into this quadrant. So, basically, uh, the traits, you know, the traits of a firebender are usually uh, passionate, aggressive, and powerful. Um, kind of depends, fire is weird because it kind of depends on what, on like what type of person you are. With I feel like fire yeah. with more than other elements, because certain firebenders use rage and aggression to feel their bending or personality more than others do. Yeah, For example, like... Zuko in book one uses a lot of rage and which puts him over to the side of like aggressive as a trait. But Iroh is very skilled, very loving, very wise. He falls more to the, the passion side of that trait. And then we have Azula. The and then we have Azula, <laughs> who is like neither. She's like, just, she has like no aggression, but she like has no empathy for anyone. I'm yeah, guessing that's, that's what makes her flames. Cool. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, some people think that the, her flames make the reason her their, her flames are blue is because all of the tears that she's put into like training fire <laughs> firebending, or like all of the tears of her enemies or something. <laughs> That's interesting. But uh, I I there are many. No one knows exactly why. Yeah. Anyway. You can speculate. Yeah. Speculate. Anyway, um, these traits cross over to like the bending technique in many different ways. I mean, um, Farley Balrog, what do you think, like, how, how does these traits of, like, passionate and aggressive, how do these, like, fuel firebending in different ways, you know, what's your opinion? I think, um, a major example for both of these is actually Zuko, because he goes from one extreme to, um, another extreme, where, like, at, like, the first time we see him, he's, like, all aggressive about his honor and stuff. And we see that his fire is very uncontrolled and just very, you know, raging and aggressive. And then later after, um, you know, you know, spoiler alert, I guess, but like, 
when they do the dragon dance, uh, Aang and him, then his his art like slightly changes. I feel like you can definitely tell that it's pulled down a bit. It's definitely more controlled. There's definitely like less expression, I guess you could say. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Zuko is like a great example of one person turning from one um, way to fuel their fire to another one. And this is is really cool. And yeah, for firebending, you're either aggressive and fuel your firebending, or your 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 emotions, emotions with rage, or you fuel it with passion and you fuel with beauty. Um, and so those are like the two basic different types of traits that we see that can fuel the bending in many different ways. Um, so let's get into some practical and combative uses of this element. Probably, what, what do you think are a few practical uses we could see? I know this is a hard one because not many people think of fire as the most practical element, but there are definitely a few little tidbits out there where fire is used for good and fire is used for everyday life. I think, actually, when the first thing that came to mind when you said that was Unglyro warming his tea. Um, <laughs> yeah. In that one scene, and then Jet's like, "Oh my God, they're firebenders!" And everyone's like, "Okay, so he's holding warm tea. So what?" <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that that's like the first thing I thought of. Um, I guess another thing is just like you know, starting fires and camps is much easier. Um, I don't know. Cooking. I yeah, guess. like you said, like cooking. You have a fire with you at all times. You have a light with you at all times. Uh, you could say there's like. You have a renewable light bulb. <laughs> like, you're not burning anything, you're just having fire, so, you know, that's good and renewable, right? Yeah. But like you said, yeah, like, heating your tea, like, yeah, Iroh did that. That's one of the practical ways. I also saw there are a few more mystical ways of using fire for spiritual ways. In Legend of Korra, some people might not remember this, but Legend of Korra, Korra when Korra, like, fights that huge spirit monster, and she gets washed up on this Fire Nation island. This female sage um, uses her fire, she kind of lights her hands up with fire bending, and she kind of warms Korra's body and kind of gets her out of this like dark spiritual state. This technique of fire bending, like we don't really know exactly how it works actually, yeah. but it really seemed like it was a cool way, it was a spiritual aspect of the, the firebending it's and, like it's like how iroh um studied waterbending kind of or yeah. to learn lightning bending i guess because like it's very similar to like how they heal with water in the water tribes with like yeah the water on their hands yes exactly like when i see good healers like katara you know the movements of their hands and the way they move their hands when they heal people with water like that that female fire sage was like actually doing you know the same types of movements just with firebending and you know that that helped Korra get out of this dark spiritual state aside from this weird pool that period i don't know season two makes no sense at all <laughs> anyway um but you know that that is also a cool practical but also spiritual use of fire that we don't know a lot about but we know it's it's practical and it can be used for good probably takes a lot of control it does <laughs> Zuko would not be good at it. 
Um, maybe Uncle Iroh. Maybe definitely Uncle Iroh. Yeah, if he studied for if a he while. Knew, if he knew how to do that. But he has, he definitely has the ability. <laughs> anyway, so let's move on and let's let's talk about some of the more combative uses of this element. Of course, this is probably be a little more detailed than the last half. <laughs> yeah. Because firebending can be used for so so. I'm gonna start off with saying that. You know, with firebending, there are so many different cool moves. I'm just going to list a few moves that you can do with fire. Um, so you could do the fire whip. Um, and the same thing as you can do the water whip. You can do it with fire. Um, these can be used in many different ways. You can make, like, a shorter whip. And then sometimes you can also extend the flame a lot and make these, like, huge rings and strings of fire that you can control. Kind of like Zuko did in the Crossroads of Destiny while he was attacking Aang. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, also, the, so the Fire Whip is very versatile. I think it's very cool move because it's destructive, but it's also controlled, and it's kind of, it's, it's not a large amount of fire, but at the same time, it's just so controlled and so controllable, and you can, and, you, and it, it goes to you, and it's so, they're so huge and long that it, it's kind of a scary move. Then there's also one of the more iconic ones is, the, you know, just the simple blast to the fire, the simple fireball, which are used in, like, more, more, more most beginner firebenders or not. Firebenders that aren't masters, they usually just blast fire at each other, you know? And a lot of, a large portion of Zuko's fight scenes are not. Other firebend fights, like Yao, just take it up by just blasting fire, not doing anything quite creative. But anyway, but there's also, if you want to go to something more creative, you could do uh, the fire wheel. Um, this is only shown once, but I feel like it's a really cool move that I could not ignore. Uh, in Return to Omashu, Azula is chasing Aang down these ramps in Omashu. And she creates this wheel, this pinwheel of blue fire that goes spinning down an A. And it is the most scary sight to see. Imagine if Azula had actually used this more in her fight scenes. That would have been, if Azula had used this more in her fight scenes, it would have been scary. Because think about this, especially with downhill stuff, especially with weapons you could, it's very versatile. Like. You can make a wheel of fire, and then you can control it. Think about that. If you can make a wheel of fire, you can make it roll around any direction you want. And then also, you can, you know, put this this kind of combustion at the back of it so that it goes really fast. And I feel like this, this could be used in a lot of cool ways. Like, imagine someone conjures these little, like, imagine if you can conjure, like, discs of fire, kind of. You know, that would be cool. Anyway, fire, fire wheel, blast of fire, fire whip, uh, followed by Rob. Do you have any other additional moves that you could list? There are definitely a few more. I think I remember that they can, like, blast fire out of their mouth. Like, I guess, like, one yeah. of the main scenes is Ozula at the end when she finally gets, like, tied down by Katara, and then she, like, she, her hands and feet are tied down, so she just, like, breathes fire out of her mouth. And then, also, Uncle Iroh does this, um, when, like, I think, like, soldiers from Bossing say capture him. They don't capture him, but they did certainly attack him. 
Yeah. Uh, Azula gets Zuko and Iroh. Yeah, but Azula gets Zuko and Iroh to get into the Earth King's palace. The Dailene didn't surround them. And Iroh just like, I would like to show you a little demonstration. And Azula says, I'm not interested in a lengthy an- anecdote, Uncle. And then he, and he just totally breathes this huge flame out of his mouth. Like, and then he spins it around in the circle and literally takes on like 10 different Dali agents and Zula all at once by just blasting this huge flame out of his mouth. And that was just such an amazing scene. But yes, fire whip, fire blast, fire pinwheel, and of course the dragon's breath. Those are all some, some very iconic firebending attack moves. So now we know there's plenty of attacking. But is there defense? So I know there's a few defensive moves out there. For example, there is the simple fire shield. Um, the fire shield, Zuko uses this definitely a few times in season three. Uh, for example, when he's fighting Combustion Man, um, Combustion Man watches this huge explosion. And Zuko, in a desperation, puts up this huge like wall of fire and it it actually stops him from falling off a cliff he manages to hang onto that cliff and he like just barely survived this gigantic explosion with this um fire shield uh azula also also used this she she uses this amazing technique this, this fire shield to literally defend herself from all four elements and a boomerang um, specifically Sokka's boomerang, and she gets away. So, we can see that the fire shield is a very, um, good, precise, very effective defense technique. Um, one more example of this is Zhang Zhang. Oh, during Sozin's Comet, Zhang Zhang is fighting off these tanks, and while these tanks are blasting these huge things of fire, in the air, this is a, this is a big thing. In the air, he created this gigantic walls of fire. This is more large scale than some of the other walls of fire we've seen. But he creates this huge firewall, and it literally stacks up all of the tanks, and you know, it defeats like literally a hundred different firebending tanks all at once with the, with this defense tactics and, and with this with this amazing technique of firebending. So I think the firewall is very very effective. Um, very powerful. Um, Fireball. Do you know of like any other cool, like slightly defensive ways people have used firebending in fight scenes? I guess. Uh, well, I I have one, but it's not technically defense. But like, there are okay, quite a close. few. Yeah. Yeah. There's quite a few scenes where people have, like, they basically turn their feet into jets and they start flying with firebending. <laughs> I'm not trying to explain it correctly, but like. I feel like we've seen Azula do this, where like she, I don't, I don't know exactly how to explain it, but like, like fire comes out of her feet, and then she's, you remember this? No. I feel like Fire Lord, oh no, yeah, Fire Lord Ozai does this when he's fighting Aang, where they're sort of like, Fire jets? Yeah, fire jets, exactly. That's, uh, I said jets because I had like a faint memory, but I didn't remember the name of it. Okay, that's good. Yeah, Fire those attacks. those can be used in defense for many evasion. So yeah, evasion we see Azula, 
evades Katara's huge water blast during Susan's Comet by using this jet and like running away. And then these jets can also be used. These jets are very versatile because they can use to propel you forward to attack someone, but you can also use them to evade the person. It's kind of like a firebender's equivalent of like air, uh, air gliding, you know? Yeah. Very basically. mostly ma- only masters can usually use this technique. I haven't seen like a novice firebender before. Oh uh, yeah. This. So we, we uh, only masters like Azula, Zhang Zhang, Star Lord Ozai, and Avatars. Those are the only known people we've seen do this, and they're all masters. So this is a very versatile technique. Um, let's just talk smoke bending for a second. Uh, smoke bending is a cool little aspect of firebending. It's not quite a sub element, I would say, but it's definitely a different type of way of firebending. And smoke bending is used a lot in the comics of Avatar, actually, where Azula, this is a spoiler alert, um, Azula uses this in the comics, actually. And she, she uses this to like conceal herself and like hide and and smoke bending is also used uh when zuko gets angry um he actually smokes out of his nose like he breathes out of his nose and it smokes and it gets all hot in the room um the other smoke bending thing we see is iroh when he gets captured by two earth kingdom soldiers he blasts smoke out of his nose onto his chains so that when the person goes to loosen his chains the smoke has, in his fire running has heated this and literally burns this dude's hand. So smoke bending is really cool. I feel like it, it's really good because more severe ways of smoke bending, I know this is going to sound really scary, but like forcing smoke down like someone's mouth, like that could be really, really deadly. If you think about it, you know, like forcing smoke down someone's mouth, that, like, that, that would be really terrifying. So smoke bending. I think the first time we see this actually is um, a flashback where Avatar Roku and um, Fire Lord Zozin are like at the volcano of um, Roku's old like home. Yeah. And then the volcano explodes, and then they're like venting out the the smoke, kind of like lightning venting, which I'm sure we're gonna get to soon. Like, remember where like one side is the smoke, and then it comes out the other side. Oh yeah, yeah. They're they're heat venting. They're smoke venting. Heat venting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, they're like so. Yeah, I remember this too. When Firelord Sozin and Roku are trying to take out are in this volcano, um, um, Sozin. Uh, sucks the heat from the volcano and then smoke bends like the heat out in the form of smoke out of his other hand. That was really, really cool. That's 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 definitely that's actually yes, that is the first time I see smoke bending or heat yeah. bending. That is really cool. Um finally let's just talk about the non bending peoples of the Fire Nation a little bit for a sec. Um basically the non bending peoples of the Fire Nation seem actually pretty competent when we're talking about fighting. We see Piandao um, is, you know, a master sword fighter from the Fire Nation. He's a non-vendor, and he's, he's known all throughout the Fire Islands 
and he, ta- he teaches so many people, including Sokka. And it's, it's, I'm pretty sure that Piano, over his long career, has definitely taught a lot of really good non-bending Fire Nation people how to defend themselves, how to fight. And, yeah, people like Pian Dao can really, can really do so much with sword and weapons and their body and martial arts that it's just so cool. And, and it's cool to see how the technique of firebending translates over to the non-bending martial arts techniques that non-benders use. Um, Father Bottom, do you have any thoughts, you know, about Pian Dao or do you have any additions to make about different competent um, non-bending fighters we see throughout the Fire Nation? Actually, on the top of my mind, I don't remember that many. Yeah. But I feel like, I feel like, like, most of the villagers you probably see throughout the series are probably non-benders, I'm guessing. Yes. Because I'm guessing most of them are, like, in the army if they can firebend. But, I guess, like, main characters, not really that much. Yeah, they're not, they're, that's the only thing, besides Pando, there aren't a lot of main characters. But I know Fire Nation definitely has a sense of, they know, non-benders definitely aren't, like, useful. And we know that throughout yeah. the world. But we know that non-benders, I feel like non-benders are especially competent in the Fire Nation. I feel like the Fire Nation produces a lot of great non-bending talent. Because we have Pion down, and, he, and, and this guy, he must have taught thousands of people throughout the Fire Nation. Including people who aren't even in the Fire Nation. And he's in the White Lotus, so he's probably taught a lot of people. And this guy has spread so much non-bending special defense and martial arts throughout the world of Avatar. This is really cool. Anyway, we are going to take a quick break. Um, in our next segment, we are going to be talking about the government of the Fire Nation. And we'll be discussing a few sub-elements. Uh, we'll be right back on the four elements. Hello, welcome back to the Four Elements. Let's get into right so into some more fire content. Um, let's let's just stop for a second and talk about the Fire Nation's government. So, you know, we know the general family tree of the government during you know Team Avatar's timeline is. Fire Ozai, his wife, uh, who was banished, uh, is Ursa. Zuko is the crown prince. His son, Azula, is the crown princess. Um, then there is Iroh, who is technically Fire Ozai's brother. However, he's usually off with, you know, usually off with Zuko helping him out. However, Iroh did, um, help the Fire Nation with government stuff in the comics if you check the comics out then there's also a few other fire nation ministers such as Zhao and other people like Zhao who such as the union archers who are uh, big parts of military bases such as the Pohai stronghold um so overall Zhao, Zo- Ozai, Azula, Zuko, Ursa vanished and then there's Iroh um we know that before that there was Sozin. Sozin was the one who started the Hundred Year War in Aang's timeline. 
Um, the, you know, we see that Sozin, he, I lately discovered that Sozin did have a sister. Um, her name, I, I forget her name, but uh, the Avatar Legends role-playing game has fed us with some information that Paul and Sozin did have a sister, um, which is really cool. There's definitely going to be some more lore about that soon. Um, but yeah, we though that was the general pe- idea of the people. So general, how the government works. Farabara, why don't you talk a little bit overall how the government works? Um, yeah. Um, well, clearly it's a monarchy with all the fire lords. They're basically emperors, I guess you could say. Um, and it seems to pass, um, along the male line, generally. Or, like, the oldest son. Like, very traditional, I guess. Yeah, um, the oldest son usually yeah. becomes the next Fire Lord. Iroh actually was supposed to be Fire Lord, but then his son died. And yeah. a bunch of stuff happened, which... Yeah, Fire Lord Ozai <laughs> kind of had everything in the bag. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we know that Ozai manipulated Azulon. Uh, a lot, who is his father, the son of Sozin, um, so that he would become Firelord and not Iroh, who was supposed to become Firelord. Um, so, yeah. And we know that, yeah, basically the Firelord is very, very powerful, especially during the Hundred Year War. The Fire Nation is a very good military. We know that before the Fire Nation waged their war, we know that the fire sages have some spiritual power, a lot of spiritual power, actually. Um, they are in charge of the fire temple and are in charge of a lot of spiritual matters in the fire nation. Um, but yeah, it's basically a monarchy. There are some generals, um, people who are advise the king, but there's there's not really a grand advisee like there is in the Earth Kingdom. It's mostly just the the Fire Lord's decisions with just a tiny bit of advice from others. Um, we know that the Fire the fire Nation, is the, the culture is that it's very strict about their rules. Um, if you don't follow the rules, you're usually punished very severely, um, especially if the Fire Lord made that rule. Um, and it's very strict. It's very, it's, it's not free form at all. It's not very free like the air nomads. It's more, it's like the exact opposite in terms of the government. Very power hungry a lot of times. However, the government we know can do good. When Zuko becomes Fire Lord, you know, he has a few daughters. Um, and yeah, so we know that it's very strict and it's just so strict that if you don't follow the role, you will be killed or you'll get hurt. It's very, very severe. So, yeah. Um, let's move on to talk about some sub-elements. The first sub-element we're going to talk about is, that's right, lava bending. So, lava bending. Let's see. So, lava bending is such a powerful sub-element of firebending. Why don't you talk a little bit about lava bending overall? Well, lava bending is essentially turning Earth into a 
molten rock, which I guess you can slightly use as like it's kind. It's very. It's so very, very close it's, to water bending, actually. Yeah. I feel like. It's it's also very. I just want to address that it's very controversial that lava bending is a sub element of fire bending. Some people say it's not a sub element of earth bending or fire bending, but it's a mix of both. Uh, but others say that a firebender or an earthbender can do that. And others think that only the son of a firebender and an earthbender can do that. So it's very controversial. But I think that firebending is related to lava bending in some way, shape, or form. I do believe that firebenders do have the ability to do this. If um, they are heated enough. If they, yeah. Um... But firebending, yeah, this basically, it's very interesting because it's almost like water bending, but it's very, very hot. The lava is scorching hot, and if it touches you, of course, it's, you're going to get, your, your skin is going to get really, really burned really, really quickly. And it's so destructive, which is kind of scary because, you know, with fireballs, you know, it'll take a little while, you know, to break stone or metal with pure fire. It'll take a little while. Not that long, but a little while. But with lava bending, it's so much easier to destroy. And that's what's so scary about lava bending, um, especially when the hands of an, of an aggressive person, lava bending can be very scary. Um, Most definitely. Yeah. And we know, we know that, you know, lava bending, it can be used in a lot of cool ways. You can, like, you can kind of turn the lava into like harder rock. And in my opinion, that ability would not be able, firebenders would not be able to do that ability in my opinion. But if we're strictly talking about just the firebending side of lava bending, I think that you can really do, you could still do a lot of cool stuff even if you're not in earth with lava bending. You can, you can blast lava everywhere. You can. Even you can make like huge waves of lava that will, that can you can actually sink buildings in this hot lava, and if you use lava bending in like little tiny amounts, then it's it can be even more severe because you can attack personal people with little tiny amounts of lava, and those little streams of lava can be really deadly, just like little streams of water can be. So yeah, lava bending is really scary, especially when when it's being used by uh, an aggressive firebender or something else. So Farlebara, do you have any closing thoughts about lava bending? I can I can definitely tell why it's very controversial, because there's not really an answer that they give for whether it's earth bending or fire bending subelement. So. I guess there's not really any way to tell, so might as well, right? Yeah, there's, I mean, there are many possibilities, and with all of these possibilities, it really seems likely that fire nation, fire bending is related to lava bending in some way, shape, or form. If it is not fire bending sub-element, then it's probably that your parent needs to be a firebender and an earthbender, and if it's not that, it's probably just that you need to be related to a firebender or you need to be, you know, a firebender. So you, we, we really don't know, but 
uh, lava bending is still, it is definitely related to fire bending in some way, shape, or form, in my opinion, because there's so many options, so many possibilities that it's so likely that fire bending is definitely related to lava bending. Anyway, we'll be right back on the four elements to discuss the next sub element. Hello, welcome back to the four elements. In this segment, we're going to be discussing some power-ups of firebending, and we'll be discussing some lightning bending, which is all other sub elements. Before we get into lightning bending, which I'm really excited for, let's just talk about Sozin's Comet. So Sozin's Comet means that fire on Sozin's Comet, firebenders get power about like a hundredfold, and they can do some really, really scary stuff with that power. Now, we know that, you know, Fire Lord Ozai created this gigantic stream of fire that literally burnt down an entire forest. Um, and a Zhang Zhang on the opposing side created gigantic firewalls and literally flew in the air on a jet of fire. And then we know the basic novice Fire, Na- fire Nation members in the Fire Nation army went from just, oh, they're fine, to the we really need to get these guys because they the comet gives them so much power that they become masters like everybody becomes a firebending master once it's sozin's comet and sozin's comet was originally used to start the hundred year war we know and then it was also it also happened when the hundred year war ended so really really cool and um, basically, Sozin's Comet gives Firebender so much power, power they can um, they can fight people with so much more volume. As we see the final Agni Kai with Zuko and Zula, it is just so beautiful. Um, these huge spouts of flame that Zuko and Azula are creating during Sozin's Comet, they light up the sky, and you can and they're so gigantic. That it's just really beautiful and amazing and firebenders can do many terrifying and amazing and beautiful things when sozin comet comes around um you know sozin's comet is a big point for a lot of like history points in the world of avatar very impactful in the world of avatar when firebenders get this much power um father bottom what do you have to say about sozin's comet yeah Definitely some major moments, the beginning and the end of the Hundred Year War. Yeah, there's not much else to say. They meant to die. Alright, um, so let's move on to the sub-element of lightning. So, lightning bending. I know lightning bending is super rare. Like, only a few select firebenders can do lightning bending. Usually only masters of the element can lightning bend. It's such a rare ability. Um, and it's very hard for people who are more geared toward using rage and aggression. People who are more geared to using rage and aggression in their firebending have such a hard time learning lightning bending as we see with Zuko. Um, he tried to learn lightning bending, but he still had so much conflict inside of him 
he was still feeling so aggressive. It was hard for him to get get that technique. So, Fowler Bob, why don't you break down what are some things lightning bending can be used for in the modern day world in Electricora and how is it used in you know fight scenes? I guess like powering electricity. <laughs> I guess that yeah. could be a use. Well, yeah, Mako. We see in Legend of Korra. Oh, yeah, yeah, we see him. Um, there's like a group of them. Yeah, there's a group of firebenders at a power plant in Republic City, and we see Mako need some decent money off of generating lightning into this pole, and it helps power the city. So this is really cool because you can get renewable energy, renewable electricity, out of humans, which is really, really cool. At light in, in terms of combat, lightning bending can be used in yes, so definitely. many so oh. many different ways um however fire i just want to clear up that fire inventors can't necessarily like control lightning they more guide it like they can release lightning out of their bodies but they can't like move lightning around after it's outside their bodies that's not how it works now lightning could move like if lightning vendors could move lightning around after it was outside her bodies, then that would be scary. Because then you got people creating balls of lightning and lightning shields and all of this crazy stuff. But no, unfortunately, that's not how it is. And lightning vendors actually do. They they, they just they just release the lightning. They they're they're humble guide as Iroh says. So in fight scenes, lightning vendors like Azula, like Iroh, like Zuko, like Tyler Ozai. so many terrifying things for example azula she she creates she puts lightning out of her body and she can do it in such a way that it's so so precise and we know that lightning bending is so powerful azula used it to take out avatar ang himself lightning bending can also be used for so many other combative things for example you know, you can defend yourself from any other element of lightning. If a huge thing of rock or a huge thing of water is flying at you, then you can literally blast that rock or ice to bits with lightning. It's just so powerful. You can use it for defense and you can use it for offense. And it's so powerful and versatile when you get the hang of it that it's like, it's it's just scary. And anyone who's a lightning bender, um, they are a major threat to anyone they're fighting. Uh, other lightning benders like Mako find really creative uses of lightning bending. For example, when Ming Wa was attacking Mako in this big pool of water, he got out of the pool and then lightning bended the pool so that all of the electricity went up to the water bender's arms and killed her. So. We know that lightning bending is very severe, very deadly. 
And yeah, it's 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 a really 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 powerful sub element. Problem Ballroom, do you have any closing thoughts on lightning bending? I feel like we see that fire is not very you know a good fighting element against water, but lightning is like the exact opposite. It's because lightning travels very well through water. So while fire it can be easily blocked by water, lightning will just basically there's no way for a water bender to defend themselves basically. Yeah, water benders. <laughs> And even airbenders are almost a lot of times helpless against the power of lightning bending. You only like, can dodge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can only dodge. That's all you can do. You cannot defend. If you try to, if, also if you're an earthbender and you try to defend, the lightning is just going to blast the wall into bits. We see this when Toph is, and, and Team Avatar are running away from Azula. Toph creates this huge wall of earth. But it doesn't matter, because Azula uses her lightning bending to blast a huge hole in this earth wall, and they get through anyway. And if you try to do water or ice bending, if it's ice, then the water, the, the lightning will literally smash directly through the ice. But if it's a liquid water, the, the, the lightning will go straight through water and kill the opponent. If it's air, the, light, the lightning will literally just, it's just air. So... Even if the air is very, very strong, lightning is just, it's not heavy, it's not a weight, it's just pure energy, which means that it would travel through right through any air blast. So lightning bending is so powerful in so many different ways, and it's just such an amazing sub-element, so powerful. Anyway, we're going to take a quick break before we end off this episode. So, we'll be right back on the four elements. Hello, welcome back to the four elements. In this segment, we will do a recap and tying any loose ends that we have left. So, I guess, well, obviously, we've been talking about the Fire Nation. We talked about uh, firebending uh, style. Uh, sub-elements, lightning, smoke, a little bit of smoke bending, um, lava bending, a very controversial topic. We talked about the government, how, um, and the, the family tree that we know of, and how the general passage from, like, father to eldest son. Um, next, we talked about Power-ups. So, yeah, yeah, power so we talked about some power-ups, so it's so comment that gives firebenders so much power. It's so beautiful, so amazing, and we even talked about some non-bending aspects of the Fire Nation. By the way, before, I mean, we are going to do a Fire Nation extravaganza, but I'm just going to say, Fire Nation has number one grub, in my opinion. Fire Nation has the best grub, in my opinion. Like, Earth is, like, pretty good. It's pretty, it's DK's good food, but Fire Nation is hands down the best. Because I love spicy food, I love meat, I love me some good noodles, so Fire Nation, hands down best food. Spicy food is the best. Spicy food is so good. No argument. <laughs> yeah. End of story. Anyway, it has been such an amazing episode talking and learning about all of these different aspects of the Fire Nation. We're gonna, we probably didn't cover everything though, and that's why 
In this next quadrant, we'll be doing all sorts of discussions about the Fire Nation, including a few episodes about basic Avatar news going on the Avatarverse. I know there's been a lot of news regarding video games and movies, so we're going to be talking about that as well as some Fire Fire Nation content. So, uh, it's been really fun just overall talking about firebending, uh, the non-bending aspects, uh, all the way to the sub-elements and the power-ups and the overall culture and politics of the Fire Nation. So it's just been really fun talking about all of this, and we're going to continue to talk about everything Fire Nation in this next quadrant. And I think in the next quadrant, I'm really looking forward to talking about some more backstory, maybe some more um, info about what the Fire Nation was like before the Hundred Year War. We know a little bit about that, but we really don't know a lot. And I want to learn a little bit about what the Fire Nation was like before the Hundred Year War. Definitely. And because we have new Kyoshi novels that give us a little bit of information about the Fire Nation and what that was like, but I definitely want to learn a little more about yeah, the what, what the Fire Nation was like before the war. The war has been, yeah, the war has definitely changed a lot. Like, we see how much they're surrounded by military now. It's Big mess. Yeah, yeah. Military is very often associated with Fire Nation now, but because of the Hundred Year War. And the Hundred Year War, like, changed the Fire Nation's profile so much. It just so everything is so different with the Fire Nation now. Of course, what's something I would also want to hear about from Avatar Studios, uh, maybe we'll hear about that in the new Aang movie, um, is the reparations that the Fire Nation was trying to make with the rest of the world after the Hundred Year War. Uh, we know that happened a little on Legend of Korra, but we didn't really get to see a lot of that, how that worked out, because I thought it was a little bit unrealistic in Legend of Korra, that the world was like, oh, okay, you killed a bunch of people, that's okay, uh, your, your family's dead, but that's good enough, and we're fine, and we're fine, and we can all coexist now. I feel like that was a li- little bit unrealistic. So I'm sure there are some reparations that were needed to be made by the Fire Nation after the Hundred Year War ended. And I really want to see how the Fire Nation reconnected with all of the other nations in a more positive way, you know, so that um, all the other nations and the Fire Nation can more peacefully coexist. Anyway, it's been so fun talking about the Fire Nation. Um, Next episode, like I said, we're going to be doing an Avatar News, so look forward to that. And then after that, we'll be continuing to jump into our Fire Nation quadrant. So I'm Mr. Boomerang. It's been such a fun episode. And we will see you next week for our Avatar News episode.